James chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Let's stand together and honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. All right, we've got a terrifically practical passage this morning, a passage about our words. We all struggle with our words, and this speaks directly to anger and the way that our words relate to anger. Let's look at what the scripture says first. It begins with, know this, which is a a phrase of emphasis. He's trying to get our attention, say, everybody, listen up, know this, understand that this is important. And then he goes beyond that to say, my beloved brothers, let every person. So a word of love, a word of kindness. I'm not trying to just crush you with this, but I'm telling you this is really, really important. And it relates to every single one of us. This message this morning relates to all of us, myself included. No matter what age you are, how young or how old you are, it relates to all of us and we need to hear it. It's one of those passages that it's not hard to understand what it's saying. And some of those passages are the hardest passages because we know exactly what it's saying and it strikes us exactly where we are. And it is a matter of going full circle, which is verse 22, of being a doer of the word. I want you to hear these things this morning. May they strike your heart, but we must not go out of here saying, well, that was really interesting. Every single one of us will have something that we must do related to what we hear this morning. So there's three basic things that we see here in this passage from James. We should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's talk first about what it means to be quick to hear. To be quick to hear means that we should listen to other people when they speak. This is not a hard thing to understand. We should listen to other people when they speak. What does it mean to listen to another person? It doesn't just mean that the words enter your ears, but somehow it goes from your ear to your brain, and you actually are paying attention to what they are saying. When we listen to the words of another person, we are saying that we care about them. Because if you don't listen to another person, you're sending a loud and clear signal, I don't care what you have to say and I'm not interested. When you listen to someone and you lean in and you want to hear what they have to say, it shows that you care. When we listen to someone, we are trying to understand what they're saying to us. And that's not always easy for various reasons. It may relate to something that they're just speaking too fast or you can't physically hear them or they have an accent or what they're saying. Like, I just don't understand what you're saying. This doesn't make sense to me. But we're trying to understand that. Sometimes that last one happens with your kids. Like, I just, I don't understand what you're saying. Let's say that again. But when you ask, 
and you lean in and you listen, it shows respect for the other person as well. When we show love and respect and interest in another person because we are listening to them, it demonstrates Christian love. Our life is always to overflow in all aspects with Christian love. And it is an aspect of Christian love to listen to another person and want to hear what they have to say. Actively listening, I believe, should be the default attitude of our lives as Christians. If we're supposed to be quick to hear, that means that's something that's regularly a part of our life. It's something that we immediately tune into. It should be something that is a default attitude within our lives. And listening should especially be a part of our lives before we respond. Now, this morning, I'm going to be in the Proverbs a lot. In the podcast for this week, uh, I'm going to have in the show notes all these Proverbs. So you can uh, get it there. I may actually put it in the uh, newsletter as well this week. This is a lot of Proverbs I'm going to use this morning. But a little side note, if the Bible says something about 50 times, you should pay attention to it because it matters. And so the Proverbs are filled with admonitions related to our words and anger. So we're going to use quite a few of them this morning. So Proverbs 18, So I, I can t- just t- keep a finger in the Proverbs. If you've got one of those little things in your Bible, just keep it in the Proverbs. We're gonna go, going there a number of times. We'll start with Proverbs 18, 13, related to this idea of actively listening, especially before we respond. Proverbs 18, 13 says this, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. We all understand what this looks like. And one of the the basic ways that we can go against actively listening to another person is to be formulating our response to them before they are done talking. And we often do that. Like while they're talking, you're, 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 I'm going to say this, and you're not really listening to them. And it is a folly and shame is going to come upon you if you're constantly responding before a person has finished talking because you're not actually listening to them. And there's another version of this is interrupting. So not only are you formulating your response before they're finished talking, you've already got your response and you don't care what they're saying. You are going to jump in and say what you're going to say before they finish. Um, We all at times have struggled with interrupting other people. If that is a characteristic of your life, it's a serious problem because it says you are are not quick to listen. You are quick to speak and you are quick to step on other people and tell them, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to say what I want to say when I want to say it. And this is something that can be ingrained from childhood. As we're raising our children, it's very important that we teach our children to wait their turn to speak because it shows respect and kindness and all these things for other people. There are all kinds of ways that you can train a child to wait their turn before they speak. Because when we interrupt and we speak over top of people, it shows that we don't care what they have to say. That I don't want to understand what you're saying. I don't even want to listen to what you're having to say. I'm going to say what I want to say because I don't respect you and I really don't love you. I just want to say what I want to say. And that's not an attitude of a Christian. A question for us, I think, is why is listening with respect and patience and goodwill so hard with those that are closest to us? You would think that listening with respect and patience and goodwill would be most natural with the people that are closest to us. But it tends to not be that way. 
You can be out at work and, and, and be patient and kind with a stranger at the counter that you've never met in your life and you come home and blow up on your kid. You're like, this is, this is messed up. If I'm looking at this, I, sh- I should probably have the most struggle with a stranger and the most kindness with my family. But we all know this is not often the way that it works. I think that those that we are around so often, we can fall into the trap of presuming what they are going to say. We've lived with them for years and we think, oh, well, I've already heard this one before. You're going to say this. I'm just going to jump in and start talking. But we should not do that. We should not presume that we know what they are going to say. But I think as with so many things, when our speech is without love and without self-control and without patience and without kindness, it is a spiritual problem. It is the root is that something is wrong with our heart before Jesus. And so the fruits of the spirit are not being born in our life. We are not overflowing with love. We have no self-control or we are weak in our self-control. And patience and kindness is not what it ought to be. And this is going to take us back to devotion to Christ Jesus and asking for the Holy Spirit to bear in our heart the good fruits that need to be there. Well, quick to listen, then slow to speak. Those two things go together as we've been going, as we've been talking about this, but it's specific here. Be slow to speak. Well, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says, that we ought to weigh our words carefully, that we should not immediately start talking, that we should be slow to speak. You should think before you speak, that you should limit what you are saying, that you should not say whatever comes to your mind. Let me say that again. We live in a day and age that prides itself in self-expression. You should be your own person. Say what you want to say. Express yourself. You should not say whatever is on your heart. Let's get to what the Bible says about that and why. It's extremely clear. Let's go back to the Proverbs. Uh, this time we're going to be in Proverbs 10, Proverbs 10, 19, Proverbs 10, 19. And this is, an un- this is a verse to underline. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. That means if you just keep talking, you will eventually get yourself into trouble. If you just run your mouth all the time, it will take you into a place of sin. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent or wise. A counter to that or another verse related to that is Proverbs 17, 28. It's a counterpart to that same verse. 17, 28 says this, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he, does, when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So a person that just sits there and says, hmm, hmm, hmm. You know, you say, wow, that person said that. At least they're not saying something dumb. And if you don't say something dumb or hurtful, that's at least one step in the right direction. And you're slowing down enough to consider what you're saying, to try to say something that is helpful, wise, prudent, right for the moment, whatever it may be. So the question I think we should ask is why not just keep talking? That's called stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness is whatever comes to my mind, it just comes out of my mouth and it just keeps coming out of my mouth. And that's hard for people that are verbal processors. I understand that some people are verbal processors. Like you work out your thoughts by talking it out. 
you may need to go on a long walk by yourself to work it out. Because working it out at the dinner table or with your spouse or with your kids and like everything that's in there is not going to help. It's going to cause more problems than it's going to solve for one basic reason. Uh, If you've still got your finger there in James, if you want to turn one page over in James, James gets all into this in chapter 3. The tongue and the sin of the tongue. In James chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, it says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. That's why you don't just go talking and talking and talking and talking. Because you're going to destroy the people around you. You're going to destroy the relationships around you. You're going to hurt the people around you. Why is that? The tongue is not autonomous. The tongue speaks from the heart. And the problem is that we have a corrupt heart. We are all sinners by nature. And when we just give vent to the sinfulness of our nature through the, through the tongue, the, the, the mouth is the gateway that allows all the things rolling around in your heart and mind to make it out into the world. And we need to be self-controlled. We need the self-control of God's spirit to say, God, help me not to give vent to some of these things that come up in my mind. Every one of us understand that we have things that roll around in our mind that if they were verbalized would radically hurt the people that are around us and shatter relationships that are around us. And we have to be self-controlled enough to say, God, help me, I'm not going to say that because it's wrong to say it. The heart is desperately wicked, and so we must speak less. I believe that if you are talking and you say, I'm not sure I should say that or not, what should your default answer be? (laughs) Don't say it. Sort of like texting. Like, you're about to push the button, and you're like, I don't know if I should push it or not. Don't push the button. Don't send it. Don't say it. Draw it back. Speak less. Speak carefully. Consider your words, and there is no excuse for saying, this is just the way I am. I just, this is just the way I am. But you're right, this is the way you were born. You were born in sin, but the Lord Jesus is working to redeem you. The path of sanctification is not just the way you were. It's the path of Christ, and I want to follow after Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, not just the way I have always been. And so hear the scriptures, obey the scriptures, hear wisdom, have a self-controlled life. What should your words accomplish? So if we're going to be careful with our words and slow with our words, what should our words accomplish? So the the negative side of this is restrain yourself. Don't say hurtful, undercutting things. But what should we be saying? Well, there's all kinds of things that could be filled in here. But I'm going to give you some, some categories and then an example. We should speak the truth. Always. We never have the right to to lie to people or say something that's wrong. Now, how we say it matters. It should be filled with grace, and it should be filled with kindness. There's many scriptures that speak about our speech being seasoned with grace and kindness. As Jesus' words were, if you're not sure what this looks like, 
Go back, read the scriptures. His words are seasoned with grace and kindness. Our words should labor to bless those who hear, especially those who are closest to us. If we go back to what we were saying beforehand, where he can often be the shortest and the most unkind with those that are near us, we should make a concerted effort to instead bless those who are near us and lift them up with our words. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Our words should be wise. Our words should be encouraging. In weeks to come, we're going to be talking about Barnabas in the book of Acts, the son of encouragement. And his encouragement largely came through his words, the way that he spoke to people. He built up the whole church in encouragement to where his nickname was the son of encouragement because of the way he went around blessing people with his words. Our words can be healing and our words can be inspiring. I hope that you have some person in your life that has said things to you that have inspired you to help you see, I can get past this. I can go beyond where I'm at. Things can be different and they understand the work of the Lord in your life more because of their work. An illustration of this that has been radically powerful in my life because I, I went through a period in my life where I was very much bound up with anger and was dealing with anger, and that anger was spilling over into my family and to my kids, and it was not a good time in my life. And I had to come face-to-face -face with these things, face-to-face -face with what we're going to see here in a moment about anger. But one of the illustrations that helped me the most in what my words ought to be came from John Piper. And I'll quickly tell you the way he expressed this. He said, I look at my wife and my kids each day like empty vessels, like a little, little cups or bowls or whatever. And it's my role as a dad and as a husband to pour into them and to fill them up with the love of Christ and fill them up with blessing and kindness. And so much of that, some of it has to do with our actions, but much of it has to do with our words. And that a goal of each and every day is for me to go about and speak into their lives in such a way that their hearts are filled and that they know by the end of the day that they're reminded again that God loves them and that I love them and that there is hope and there is joy in this life. Now, when you get to the end of the day, if you've been pouring out into people all day, you yourself are going to be what? Empty. Empty. And so where do you get filled up? This is where personal devotions come in. This is where you go to the Lord Jesus and you open the scriptures and in prayer and you say, God, fill my heart with your unending love, your boundless mercy and grace, that my heart might be full, that I might pour into others. And you can go back and pour out again the next day. And God fills you up and you pour out again the next day. And this is a powerful way to think about your life. And it helped me. I am a very imperfect sinner but I strive towards this now, that my words might fill up the hearts of those who are around me, and I might not be an agent of destroying them, but blessing them and building them up. Now, I understand there are going to be times for admonition and correction, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. But even when we admonish and correct people, it should be done uh, in truth and in passion towards evil, but it should be the exception to your life. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that I just said the norm should be listening and self-control in your language. The exception or an unusual event would be admonishing or correcting someone. 
Because if you're the guy or the woman that goes around all the time making sure that everybody's corrected and everybody's wrongs are pointed out and just need to make sure you understand you're wrong here and you're wrong here also. And one more, there's actually one more thing that you're wrong about. So maybe you can fix that and then we'll talk about this more. Nobody wants to be around a person like that. Because when a person corrects you continuously all the time and that's their default mode, you begin to tune them out because you know that they don't really care about you. There's a, there's a problem there. But when a person's norm is to listen to you, to hear you, to love you, to care about you, and then they come and say, by the way, this is concerning me. I see this problem in your life, and I want to talk to you about that. I listen to people like that because I know they care about me, and usually their words are wise, and their words have meant something to me, and so I want to hear what they have to say when they need to correct me. All right, quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. There is a time to have anger. And we're going to talk about this, but we're going to talk about Jesus' aspect of this. But my understanding in the scriptures of what righteous anger is, is passion against evil and ungodliness. That a righteous anger has to do with a passion against evil and ungodliness. But similar to how admonition and correction should not be our default mode, anger towards evil should not be the default attitude of our life because it is done poorly. It is uh, something that we should slowly reach that conclusion. That's what the passage is saying. If you're going to reach a place where you are passionate and need to speak against evil in the world, it should be a, something that you get to slowly. You've basically exhausted all kinds of other options before you get to that option. So you speaking passionately about evil is something that is going to be a part of your life in right situations, but infrequent. Why? Because you're not Jesus. Okay? People say, well, Jesus was flipping over tables in the temple, and Jesus condemned the Pharisees with their woes. Yes, he did. And he was righteous to do that. But you are not the son of God. And when you want to go and condemn somebody for their evil, you had better be very slow in reaching that conclusion to make sure that you are right in what you are saying. You've thought through it carefully. You have exhausted other options. You have spoken with wisdom, maybe had counsel from other people. We tend towards sin because we're bent towards sin. We're sinners. And if you think that your natural reaction to go and condemn somebody is going to be right the first time every time, you're very mistaken. And so what the scriptures often talk about in anger and why anger is a problem is exactly what Galatians chapter 5 talks about with the fruit of the flesh or what comes out of our flesh, which is outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger is not what Jesus did in the temple. It is not what he did when he condemned the Pharisees. He did not ever lose his temper. When people were all lined up and pressing in and insulting him or hitting him in the face or whatever of many illustrations you could give of Jesus, Jesus never burst out in anger. We, every single one of us, know what it means to have a fit of anger Every single one of us in this room have lost our temper at some point and blown up on somebody and said something that we know that we should not have said, whether it's related to our spouse or our children or our neighbor. We ask, why do we do this? Why, do we, why, why would we do this? Why do we blow up on people around us? 
And it's largely because it feels good in the moment. You're like, I am going to justify myself. I am right, and I, you are going to know that I'm right before we leave this moment. And so I'm going to tell you, and you blow up, and you tell them. I'm going to make my point. And then sometimes it goes well beyond that into things that are worse, where we really, I'm so upset that this person's not hearing me, listening to me, I'm going to try to hurt them with my words, or I'm going to shame them or crush them with what I am saying and the anger of myself. And this can get to raising voices, it, this can get into physical altercations, all kinds of things that are degrees of sin getting worse and worse. Now Proverbs 30, 33 is a powerful one on this. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 33 says this, pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. Pressing anger produces strife. What does that mean? It means that you keep pressing your point. Like, ah, you're not listening to me, so I'm going to press it more. This is where the, the argument gets longer and longer and longer and worse and worse. Pressing anger produces strife. And you can keep pressing, and it's not going to produce anything but more strife and more sadness. Verse 20 of this passage in James was transformational to my life when I finally grasped what it says. It says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In our self-righteousness, we can often think, no, I'm right. And if I keep, this is going to produce some righteousness, some good end. This passage here and what we just read in Proverbs says that you pressing your anger will never produce the righteousness of God, ever. And so when you have lost your temper, you need to recognize I am now into an area of sin. And however far I keep pressing this, it's going to produce no good end. So God help me to just stop right now. And whatever that means, whether that means walking outside and taking a deep breath, counting to 10, saying, uh, son or daughter, I'm going to need you to sit here for a minute because I need to go outside and gather myself. Or whatever it may be, when God's spirit takes a hold of your heart and you realize I have reached the place where I am out of control and I am angry. No good end is going to come out of this. We've got to stop. Do not keep pressing anger. It will only lead to strife and it will never result in God's will. We must strive to put to death anger in our life. We must strive by prayer and by seeking after God's spirit. God help me to listen more. God, help me to have the fruit of the spirit of self-control. God, help me to love those who are around me. And by the way, when we are seeking the fruits of God's spirit, that is asking God to work in our life. It's not, I need to be more self-controlled. I'm going to be more self-controlled. It will not work. It's you getting down on your knees and saying, God, help me to be more self-controlled. You have got to help me, Lord Jesus, to be in control of my tongue. I'm confessing my sin to you, and I'm asking you to help me. And God will help you, and you will see it in your life, and then you'll praise him for it. Because the next time whatever happens, you'll be able to make progress and speak with a word of kindness and a word of love. And instead of it being more strife, something beautiful will happen. And you'll say, wow, that was, 
That was awesome. Thank you, Lord. There's, there's peace in our home. There's a progress in our marriage or in our workplace or whatever it may be. The scriptures are full of examples of these things. The supreme example of anger out of control comes right out of the gate in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, Cain. You have Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel come and offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Abel offers God what God asks for. And Cain brings whatever he wants to bring. And God is not happy with it. And says to Cain, this is, this is not what I want. And Cain is very angry. That's the way he's described in Genesis 4. Very angry. And there's a powerful passage there where God addresses him. And he says, you must master your anger. It is crouching, waiting to attack you. It's like a, a predator sitting outside the door. And if you walk through that door, he's going to jump on you and kill you. And he is called to master and rule over his anger. But instead of that, he gives full vent to his anger and goes and murders his brother. And if you think that's far-fetched, you need to watch the news more often because the news is full of people with anger just boiling up into them to the point they're ready to kill somebody over it. And sadly, we see this more and more in our day. Our day is full of out-of-controlled anger. We see this in the public place more and more often. People screaming at each other, raging at each other, violence overflowing into the public square. We see signs more and more often. The most shocking of the ones recently was I went to the hospital. Take, I had to go to the emergency room. This was with Mila. But a, uh, there's a big old sign. We will not tolerate physical violence, uh, um, emotional abuse, various things. I mean, who does that? When you've got a, a person that you can't help and they're dying and you bring them to the emergency room and you're going to now start screaming at and abusing the person that may be able to help you from dying. I mean, that's... How deep sin messes us up. But that's the world that we live in now. Because our land is descending into ungodliness. And the more we descend into ungodliness, anger is a marker of that and rage. As Christians, we must be people of peace. I want you to hear the word of the Lord related to these things as we read a few more Proverbs that they might sink in and help you put together the pieces of what it means to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here's a few more Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Wow. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Just, gah. You know you're wrong if what gets ready to come out of your mouth, you say, I'm going to say this is going to hurt them so bad. You're wrong. Don't say it. Don't thrust them through with your words, especially if it's your spouse or your child. Don't hurt those who are nearest to you with your words. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can use your words to heal other people around you by the grace of God. Proverbs 15, 1, through 8, 1 and 18. Proverbs 15, 1, beautiful. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's like pouring water on a fire when the temperature raises and then there's a gentle word spoken. And it just, it de-escalates the whole situation. But if you press anger, a harsh word will stir up that wrath. Verse 18 there, Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. 
Same thing we're talking about here this morning. Slow to anger. It quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 1632. Proverbs 16:32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's a very interesting one. That's the idea of the person, the great warrior that goes out, conquers the city. You've got a statue made to him. This person, everybody thinks they're fantastic, but they go home and rage against their friends and family and their personal life's a total disaster. How many people do we know like that? They're great in public life. Private life is a total disaster. Which is better, to have your family and your children love you or to have some great accolade named after you? The Proverbs tell us it's better that you rule over the anger in your life than to... Than to to do great achievements in this world. All right, Proverbs 19.11. 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is his glory to overlook an offense. This is a big part of what it takes to be at peace with those around you, that you don't account every wrong to someone. Proverbs talks about, I mean, uh, Paul talks about this. Love keeps no account of wrongs, which doesn't mean that you can't count. It means that you overlook wrongs. You overlook things that like, ah, I'm going to let that one go because I love you. And I'm just not going to say anything about it. And I'm going to speak to the things that really matter. That is wisdom. Lastly, um, let's go to Proverbs uh, 29, 22. 29, 22. 29, 22 says this. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. If we're given to anger, it will cause sin. These Proverbs strike us all. They're meant to warn and instruct our hearts and our lives. But when we ask about Jesus returning to say, well, if we're slow to anger, that means there must be times where it's okay to be angry because Jesus was angry. And this is true. Jesus was and is patient with sinners, but Jesus was and is passionate about holiness. God loves all that is good, but he hates all that is evil. These are two sides to holiness. The Lord Jesus is not indifferent about evil. He doesn't love what is good and just doesn't say anything about what is evil. God loves what is good and hates what is evil. And we as Christians who follow after the steps of Christ must have the same attitude. We must love what is good and we must hate what is evil. And so we must stand our ground on issues of righteousness with passion. But it is seldom the right answer for that to involve anger. And I specifically, I want to give you an illustration. Because as we take strong stances on what is right, we must do so with grace. And we must do so striving for peace. One of the best examples I've ever seen of this was last year um, when some of us here at the church were at the Southern Baptist Convention. Huge hall, 12,000 people, uh, hotly debating for a vote the subject of are we or are we not going to have women pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention? Are we going to go the direction that so much of the world is going even though the scriptures are very clear 
clear that spiritually qualified men should be leading the church. And Rick Warren got up on the, on the mic, gave a very articulate, very impassioned plea for how we must change with the world as the world is changing so that we can embrace these new ways and go the way of, of the Episcopal Church and the Methodist Church and so many other things that do not care about the authority of Scripture. And when he got down, you know, he thought, wow, this is... This is going to be bad because that was a very good speech, you know. And if, if someone is not rooted in the scriptures and understanding why they believe what they believe, they could, that could just wash them away. And then Albert Moeller gets up to the mic. And God bless men like this who with courage, with articulate biblical scripture references and strength, holds the line of saying we must submit to the authority of scripture. The church must, has always since the time of the apostles and must always be led by spiritually qualified men because the scriptures demand it. And he gave it many reasons. And at the end of the day, there was a vote after that, and there was an 80% vote in the right direction of this subject. And I don't know that it would have happened without that courageous, strong stance for where we ought to be. But what was very clear about it is that he did it with grace. He was not attacking Rick Warren. He did not want to defeat this man or anyone else that holds that position. He was striving for what was right, but in doing it, doing it with grace, which gives the opportunity for someone to change their mind and come back around, where you are winning a person. And this is very much the opposite of our day and age in politics, where we have no grace, we have no, often have no grace, often have no love. And our desire is to defeat and humiliate the enemy. And this is not what we are about as Christians. We are called to make disciples and win the lost to come to know Christ. We're going to hold up righteousness that they might repent of these things, but we want to see them come to know Christ, and there must be grace and room left for it. If your anger is pouring out on your spouse and your kids and your coworkers, I need you this morning to first understand that it is your problem and not theirs. It is a spiritual problem and not a matter of finding just the right book to read or the right technique to involve in your life. It will involve, as we see in James chapter 1, verse 21, that we must put away all filthiness and wickedness. As anger rises up in your life, I believe the Holy Spirit will convict you of what you know some wrong things are in your life. Things that are wrong because there is a connection between lust and anger desiring things, whatever it may be in your life, whether it is some immoral sexual thing or some material thing or some position of fame and power, whatever it is, it's something you long for and your heart lusts for it and you feel like you deserve it. And since you don't have it, you're going to get angry at the people around you that don't give these things to you. And so your lusts lead to the destruction of your life and anger. And so James is saying we must put these things away. We must repent of them. We must turn away from them and literally get rid of them. If there are items that need to be gotten out of your life, they need to be thrown away. If there are things that need to be deleted off of your computer or off your phone, you need to delete them. Whatever it is that is impeding and causing a root of anger to, take, to, to be a part of your life, it needs to be done away with. You must be grieved in your heart by your anger. You must see that your anger is hurting the people that are around you and accomplishing no righteous end. 
And then we go to receiving the word of God. So when these evil things are put out, what replaces it are righteous things. Verse 21 speaks to God's word implanted in our hearts. Receiving something does not mean that we go and get it. It is given to us. So God's word is ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. We receive it as revelation from God. God is imparting his ways of righteousness in his life to us. It brings us to salvation. This is not a path of self-help. This is a path of sanctification. It's a path of discipleship. It comes to us through personal devotions, through sermons like this, through small group Bible studies, through admonitions from other Christian friends who come to you with a scripture and say, brother or sister, hear this, see this. And we have an opportunity to be a doer, to not just hear, but to act. And that's where we end in verse 22. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Because if you're only hearing, you're deceiving yourself. If you hear and then don't act and you're not living these things out, you're deceiving yourself that you're walking in the ways of Christ. You're not. You're walking in the way of the world and you will go the way of the world. So this morning I pray for you that the Lord Jesus may strengthen us all to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you today. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for this passage so important for every one of us, Lord. Strengthen us by your spirit to be able to accomplish these things. Those here that do not know you as Savior, I pray, God, that they would for the first time repent of their sins and submit themselves to you and realize they can never accomplish these things without the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. That we would treasure the word of God and that we would understand the need to be near to and to receive and be under the authority of scripture in our life, that it might rule our ways and that we might walk in righteousness. Lord, help us to be a wise people, a listening people, a self-controlled people that we might encourage one another in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.